Moving Iron Podcast number 193. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Tractor Zoom delivering insights and dry shod boots, the official work boot of the Moving Iron Podcast. Well, this week I have got my good friend Aaron Findle back here with us. And Aaron, believe it or not, this is not Moving Iron Podcast number 193. It's actually Moving Iron Podcast number 503. So that's 503. 503 of these things have been put in the book. So Booyah. That's a lot. It's a fair amount. Um, there's a uh, quite a bit of stuff going on. We're at the end of the year here. We are recording this on October 15th, 2020. So we are in that last quarter of the year push as we start heading into the first of the year and with the way harvest is going right now, if you take a look at all the stuff that's happening, there is more than... Um, enough time for guys to stop and think about what, what they've got to do for the rest of the year after they talk to their accountants and count all the uh, bushels they've got because for the most part our guys are going to be done like in a week it feels like there's still some sugar beets that are going to be be getting dug and those kind of things but for the most part corn harvest is is at the very tail end of uh everything awesome happening there so what are your thoughts on that i kind of step back and take a look at that Guys, we're going to have a pretty big, I think we're going to have a busier than normal November because typically in November and December this year, we've, in the past five years, have been like, okay, so we're done with harvest. It's December 28th and we need to make some decisions now. And so, uh, what are your thoughts on that? I agree with that. I mean, typically within our country, mm -hmm. our AOR, we don't even think about corn until November 1st. Right. Yeah. For especially for the guys that have beets, which is the majority, um, you know, around our Alliance, Bridgeport, Scotts Bluff, Fort Morgan, Sterling, you know, those yeah. kind of stores. Um, and there's there are some large operations that are going to be done with everything November first. Yeah, that's unheard of out yeah. here. Of course, eighty in October is fantastic corn picking yeah. weather yeah um we had that early freeze that kind of sped things up for us too and yep. i mean it's been a perfect perfect harvest year the drawback to that is it is so god-awful dry everywhere it's mm -hmm. it's a nightmare it sucks to be a grass hay guy i'll tell you that much yeah um back to your first question you know about guys wrapping up and and uh, counting their bushels, and how should they go about it? That that can be quite simply answered with one statement. They should just call Aaron <laughs> and buy and buy some buy some machine. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know how else to slice it. That's that's simple. pretty cut and dried. It's pretty simple. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it, I I do agree with you. I I know, you know, being on the the egg Twitter so much. There is a lot of, I don't know of anybody who's not ahead of schedule. Right. Um, the Those poor guys in Iowa that got the, how do you say that, Drecho? Something Drencho, like that. Something. The, the, the fancy name for wind. Yeah. yeah. 
those guys have got some slow going because they got to digest everything above the dirt to get any of that if they're picking it. You know, as we've seen, a lot of guys dist her up and call her good. Call her good. We'll worry about volunteer corn next year. Right. Um, So I mean, it's it's a little bit a little bit of everything. I think the end of the year stuff. I would venture there. There's a lot of years you're really at the hottest. I want to say we'll call it the 20th to the 30th, five days each side of Christmas. Right. Um, that that always feels real hot and heavy. I think this year by the 15th of December, a lot of that will probably be largely oh, yeah. wrapped up. Yeah. Also, it could be the complete opposite because they will have more time to – count and think and look and it it could be vice versa it could be shopping palooza until the 28th 27th and just boom 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 you know three or four days of fury could go either way could be both let's hope for both (laughs) hope for happy medium in there somewhere now i'm with you i think i think i'd look at what's going on here and i think the month of november towards the tail end of november will be busier and bleed over into December. Yeah. And I, I really think my, my personal opinion that guys are going to have purchased what they're going to purchase by the 20th of December. And I think they're going to have that, that last stint barring any guy hanging out and what mail for that, that late December auction or something like that, where they're going to watch whatever it is to go across the, across the block and, and make that decision then. But I really feel like it's going to be a fair amount of their decisions are be made by mid, you know, 15th December, 20th December, and that last week of December, in my opinion, barring something crazy happening where all of a sudden, oh, crap, corn jumped up to 450 cash corn all of a sudden. Now everyone's like, oh, yeah, now we're going to make some stuff happen. But most of that will get carried over into into to, to 21 at that yeah. point. Yeah. Kind of like the spike in beans. You exactly. Know? Yeah. So many guys are like, yeah, that's great. I'm hauling my $9 beans to town. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? right. Yeah. But yeah. – but, they they made that move because that eliminated their risk. Right. You know. Yep. yep. So yep. So as you look there at is that. Now, real quick, you almost said as guys were, you know, go, going to watch auctions and stuff, watch it go across the block. I feel like you almost said watch it go across the scale, which which would be which, accurate yeah. if we're talking certain machines. Certain machines, exactly. <laughs> Which we promised ourselves we were not, not going to discuss talk about today. Them. Not going to talk about them. No. All right, so guys you've been talking to, <clears throat> all of the uh, action that you see happen right now, what is what is the, 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 the primary, like what are the top three machines classes that you're that you're talking to guys about now? Is it <clears throat> high horsepower real crops? Is it four-wheel drives? Is it... The combines, placing heads, tillage pieces, like what sprayers, planters, what what's on the block? What do you guys seeing right now? Top three would be eight R's always. Right. That's number one. Number two would be I would say probably I'm just gonna say track tractors, eights and nines. And then number three would be planters. Planters. Okay, so let's talk about Let's talk about the track tractor market for a little bit. That is a market that has, in my opinion, really taken off in the last 12 months, more than it's have we've seen in the past. 
And there's a million reasons for it. You know, there's horsepower to the ground and all these different arguments that you come see, that they see happening. I think the biggest driving factor in the explosion of the popularity of tracks is the fact that, oh crap, it costs me as much or more to put eight tires on a four-wheel drive now as it does for me to buy a set of tracks and update the undercarriage on my 500 horsepower track machine. And now, by the way, I get more power to the ground. Oh, and by the way, I get this, that, and the other thing that come along with having less compaction and all those kind of things. What are your thoughts? I hate I hate to admit this, but you really hit the nail on the head. When Why would you hate to admit that? Well, because I don't think you need any more pats on the back. <laughs> your, your shoulder hurts from doing it yourself, so I don't, I don't want to pile on. Um, you're exactly right, though. If you look back to the 55 cat, the 8400T deer, mm-hmm. they were kind of a, I mean, there's guys that jumped on and they haven't had a tire since. There's a lot of guys, though, that got them. Because, oh, yeah, the, you got your cool factor. Right. Forever right. exists in machinery. Plus, you got your, well, we can go across rows, you know, and we can kind of do this and do that. Boy, they suck on the road, you know. Yeah. So, you, you had your your biggest group that was the middle of the road guys that, well, we'll get one and kind of try it. Everybody had a 8,000 mm-hmm. and an 8,000 aught T mm-hmm. or a... 35, 45, 55 cat. Right. Or an 8080T. Right. By the time, you know, and then then uh, Caterpillar came out with the MTs. And, ooh. No, it wasn't Caterpillar. It was Agco. I thought Caterpillar came out with well, MTAs. They sort of. Caterpillar, it was Caterpillar's brain. Yeah, yeah. But Agco built the MT. Okay. So that was made, it, all MTs were made in Jackson. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, oh. it was still Caterpillar's brains that yeah. built that. Let's yeah. be real. But uh, the MTs came along, and those dedicated track guys were like, "Oh shit, that's nice." Right. Fast forward to the eight RT, whole different. Oh yeah, whole different world, different yeah. buyers, different everything. Some of those guys, a lot of guys, stayed 8RT. Some guys are like, wow, that is so much better, but I'm just an ILS front dual guy. I've talked with quite a few guys through the year, and they're like, well, you know, and they're what I would call, they they haven't had a track. Mm -hmm. They're they're probably like a large B, you know, by dealership speak. Um. And these guys, they, they've 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 never had one, or they were one of the ones that have flirted with the the aught and the ten and the right. twenty. And those guys, you know, that's one of the questions you get. Well, what about maintenance? You know, what about tracks? And I've always told guys, I said, if you look at doing all six, you know, say you got a, you know, fifties on the back, four twenty thirty fours on the front. Just a regular 8R. Tracks and those six tires, pretty much dead heat. By the time that you get front duels, it's cheaper to do two tracks mm-hmm. than all eight tires. Right. 
and then you have guys that say, well, yeah, but then you got your your drives and your idlers and your bogeys, and well, that's fine. You got front end seals and ILS, you know, oh, yeah. all that accumulators, yeah. all that everything on that other tractor. The track long run is going to be less maintenance, right? Typically, typically, not always. Typically, yes, yes. So that that is a that's a big part of it too. Plus, now they zip down the road better. They're still a track tractor as far as ride, mm-hmm. but. You go drive an 8430T and then go drive an 8295RT, no comparison, man. Right. Yeah. They've done a lot in suspension, you know, independent bogey wheel suspension oh, yeah. and all those kind of things. Back in the back in my cat days when you would, I used to love doing it at the at the dealership in the lot, there was a little, oh boy, little lip, you know. <laughs> I'd, yeah. I'd drive over this little thing and, just, and that was my favorite thing to do, but because it would, I mean, it was like driving a tank. What I could imagine oh, driving a tank was. I mean, you just drive up, and then you get to a point where it teeters, and it falls forward. You know, yep. was, that's how it was. And and now, when I would take a guy, and I would show him, like, okay, so here's here's how the 65C is, you know, or an E or whatever it was I had. And go, and then this is a, this is the MT. And you go drive it up there, and you drive that thing, and drive a, and then you take the MT, and you drive it up, and it kind of kind of somewhat molds to the, to the hill, and it kind of comes over. So over the years, track suspension and the way things ride and all those different aspects of it have made a uh, an incredible dent in the overall uh performance of the machine right <clears throat> now one thing about track machines too is they're infinitely easier out of track oh yeah because they can it's just you have a set one on each side and it's just simple turn either way you don't have to worry about front tires turning or anything like that it's just straight straight and narrow so that's that comes there so while we're on, on the track side of it. Real quick, yeah. just to piggyback onto that to give you an idea. When I came to the green side in 08, it took, oh my God, a, say the tractor's already green star ready and you just put a valve in it, you're probably looking at five, six thousand bucks. Right. Okay? Or if you had an 8410T, it was like $800 for a chip in right. the steering block and right. ooh auto track right. like yeah. wow that was a difference yeah that was yeah that that whole steering valve kind of progression into the light bar and the oh, know, yeah. all that stuff easy steer and all those kind of things outback remember the outback they had to run there for a minute they were kind of the cats meow for they a while were. yeah they were all those things were like uh Easy steer with the the wheel. Oh, there there's a lot of that out there, yeah. Yeah. Just because it's it's such a cost effective, probably the way I want to put it. It, it it's a great cost. Doesn't work for shit on RTK, but if you're not if you're anything other than RTK, it's right. great. Yeah. You can throw it in a 1086 binder. You right. know. Yep. It goes in anything. I remember when Outback came out, it was like the 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 bolt-on system that didn't require anything. It's like just like you put it in there and you just kind of make it work. Right. There was, right. There was no like real like formula that you had to go do, and it's just like you put it on there and it just goes. Yeah. You know? Well, and what was cool when Outback first came out is they were like light bar on steroids because exactly. there was yes. light bars and they were literally just that little black bar yeah. and oh, try to get the middle dot. Whereas the Outback 
had those curved lights and then your yeah. lights up and down in the middle so you could really tell where the hell you were at. You right. get all them lit up in the middle and oh man, you know, that was yeah. space age. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was cutting edge for a minute. And then yeah. just like everything else, technology wise, it just kinda comes and goes. So. Oh yeah. But yeah, so all right, so now let's talk about how many conversations you have in guys with, with either an IH quad track or a a nine RX or eight RX or those kind of things. How many? How much of those conversations are you having? A little bit. The I don't feel like there's a lot of. I know what happens because you see it. I don't feel like there's a lot of color switch on four wheel drive on on four track four wheel drives. I'll leave it at that. I don't, I don't feel like there's a lot of, well, we got this one and let's try that one and, you know, back and forth, back and forth. I feel like, you know, the red guys like the red, the green guys like the green. And right. I know of some green guys that did have the red and got the green and stayed green. Right. Um, I, I just haven't had, I guess, a lot of conversations on four track anything obviously the 8rx you know guys have demoed it which shocks me i have not had anybody say that oh my god that's a game changer everybody just adores that that's done demos you know whether they're in you know black lands of texas north dakota ohio washington state they love it right it's just amazing Unfortunately, it's half a million dollar tractor, but you know, so's everything else. I, yeah. you know, at, at some point, yeah, that I shouldn't say doesn't matter, but at some point, that's a it. You look at it from a way different angle than just here's what that tractor costs. Yeah, you know, it's efficiency, it's uptime, it's ride, it's everything. Yep. Now I think. It's probably the most versatile tractor on the market, hands down. Oh, I totally agree with that. But if you take a look at if you take a look at what what the uh, overall everything everything is getting expensive. So now you start looking at payment structures, and you start looking at how things are going to, to play into your operation. And um, it's not a half a million dollar tractor; it's a X number of dollar planner or X number of dollar payment that, that year, and then I'm gonna make that payment working in my operation. Kind of like we've talked about in the past. I brought up you know that whole construction thing that a guy's doing a job and that, that machine's freaking into that job and so on and so forth. Around you go, um, guys can argue that well that's different because they're getting paid, you know whatever. Well, you gotta also remember that most of the time that road you're driving on, the bridge that you're going across, or the building that you're looking at, or whatever it is. The lowest bidder is the one building that. So, I mean, <laughs> right, you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, it's, it's, so Comforting. It's, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where you've got, you got people that are, that are, it, you know, their margins are thin and they're working those ways through and they're doing what they have to do and looking at the way to look. But it all comes down to what it is that you're doing operational size those kind of things how all these different pieces of equipment age years whatever it is all play into that that scenario whatever that looks like right um obviously you're going to have opportunities um based on your your economies of scale 
and what that looks like in your thing. So the way I look at it is guys are looking at each machine uh, as of I can afford this amount of dollars for equipment, maintenance, and everything else per acre or per bushel or per whatever it is. And I feel like most guys know that, and they're working that math problem out to say, like, okay, so I can afford this. Right. And, and, and I think a lot of guys, at least guys I talk to, more often than not, it's always cost per acre. Yeah. That's what it comes down to, right? Because I've had guys reach out to me that are like, hey, this is what we're doing now. It's fine. And they're picking up, like, two quarters. And he's right. like, I got to trade tractors to make that work. Right. Or trade combines to make those two quarters work. It's not a huge thing, but it is going to push us enough that we need to bump. Right. You know, one thing I'm glad you touched on, and that's a tremendous, I shouldn't call it a disconnect, but two completely different viewpoints of looking at the same thing iron. Mm -hmm. Construction guys, it is a widget. Yeah, it's, I'm going to use that D8H for this, cost me this, that's it, end of discussion. Right. This guy's looking at a 9620RX, and wow, that's how much, and man, that's the payment and all of that, and if they're not looking at it from that cost per acre, or even if they are, it's, man, that's so big, well... They're just looking at that. They're not looking at productivity and, you know, right. the, the feature benefit side. It becomes price only and then, you know, kind of falls away. In the construction world, it's way more of a, this is a piece of iron to do a job. Right. I don't care if it's deer, kumatsu, cat, whatever. Right. You don't have that mag world. Right. If you do, it is a tiny percentage. Yeah. Well, we, we're only going to buy green. We're only going to buy red, mm-hmm. you know. And as soon as that thing hits the farm, I'm trying to think of the right word. It's not a love affair with it, but emotional, it's an emotional attachment. attachment yeah. yep. It's yeah. part of the family. Right. The yellow is a tool. It's a pair of pliers. Mm-hmm. The, the green, green, red silver, whatever, black with red wheels, whatever it is, is part of the family, right? you know, and that's, it's so different. But I think as far as farms getting bigger and I hate the term mega farm, but large farms where, you know, it's XYZ farms and Mr. XYZ isn't necessarily the guy in the seat. Once you get to that point, I think you see more of that, though. Well, yeah, you see a lot more guys measuring what what it is that they're getting for their for their dollars, right? right? So that's when you start looking at what's the technology look like, what's the efficiency of the machine looks like, what's the serviceability of this machine look like, yeah. How far do I have to go to get parts? Where's the guy coming from that's going to service my equipment? And that's the biggest thing, you know. I've seen guys with the or gal, the huh? guy or gal. Guy or girl. I've seen people. Yeah. I've seen ag producers. How about that? I've seen ag producers with, you know, the the new Lexions Mm -hmm. that are out, the 8800 or the X9. Right. And, oh, man, it'll do, you know, it'll do so much. It'll do so much. And other guys going, maybe this guy's right next door to Lexion, and he loves the X9, but that dealer's 30 
40 miles away. Right. So he's going to go Lexion. Right. You know, they, these guys have, they, they demoed an 8700 and loved it, but they're going to stay with a S790 because the dealer's five miles away. Right. They're, that, I feel like that has happened a lot more in agriculture than it ever used to. People being more conscious of serviceability, mm-hmm. having a bigger impact than color or right. love. Right. You know, I also think now you're starting to see again back to the construction model, which we see happening. It's just the morphing of this kind of model and the way it looks. There, there are more and more <clears throat> dealerships now, ag dealerships that are looking at field service and how they're setting up their trucks now. To be, you know what, we can kind of do whatever we want out here. And one, by the way, Mr. Customer, your shop is probably nicer than ours. So we're just, we can do your PSP in your shop. We can do, we can pull that engine. You know, there's a lot of those things that are happening right now. And you're starting to see that, that facet of the business start to grow. Oh, yeah. If a dealer, if a dealer, you don't see a dealer whose main ass kicking service truck is a dually anymore. No. Or a three-quarter done pickup. No. You know, it's a it's a freaking class A straight truck mm-hmm. with a service body and a big-ass crane. Mm-hmm. Or, at the very least, it's a, you know, a 5500 Dodge, a 550 Ford, a 5500 Kodiak Chevy. Right. You know, those almost C65 Chevy trucks. You know, right. a two-and-a-half-ton truck. That is like commonplace run of the mill now yeah yeah Yeah. and even 10 years ago it was like wow they got one hell of a service truck and now it's like oh we gotta drive that old 55 because the such and such has the peterbilt right pulling an engine on a combine right at joe blow's place yeah you know it's it's just a whole different world and i think real quick as we as i said you know some of those bigger farms are going to that construction model when it comes to machinery utilization, purchasing, operating, all of that. I would say, you know, for sure the, I I think it's growing a lot in like the over 10,000 market. Oh yeah. And I think within five years, it'll be the the five plus, Mm -hmm. you know, it'll take the big guys to do it. And, and the big guys already start thinking that way. You know, they're the early adopters and all that, typically. Once they do it and it works for them, the trickle-down will be very fast. Yeah. Well, I, you also got to think about, too, the number of, as you start looking at the demographic of the of the American farmer, right, the uh, the number of guys that are 60-plus that are years old and don't have someone coming back to the farm. Oh, it's a huge, it's a huge number, right? Huge. So that, that next five years of consolidation, of on-farm consolidation, what that looks like, it is going to be like 1990 dealership consolidation. Oh, you know? yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, because you're going to start seeing some guys that were, there's just that amount of, of, of that amount of opportunity that's going to pop up in the next five years for, for growers is going to be very similar to what it was dealership consolidation in 
in, right. in the early 2000s, late 90s, you know, mid-2000s, you know, as you start looking at Today. It, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> but that's the other side of it. I mean, just like the growth and change in the business and, and then how that, how do we make all of that come together and work, you know, mm-hmm. as we morph into whatever it is we morph into. So I think there's... Well, and I think even, even without that, mm-hmm. you know, the guys that are just five, I, I don't, what I just want to touch on this quick. What I was getting at is, you know, the 5,000 acre guys going to that in five years, that's just them by themselves. Right. I meant with that, we're, we're both talking about the same thing, just different angles right. of it. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where even, you know, 10 years from now, the guy that's 3,000 acres is, well, do that and that and that and. They're going to be X amount, and they're gone. And then we do that, that, that again, X amount, gone, and yeah. just on down the road. And yeah. not having to do a multi-unit or anything like that. They might have 8370R that when it hits these hours, my cost per acre has now hit that. It's gone. Right. New one. And then it's an 8R3 set, you know, yeah. and down. Not every piece all together and make a multi-unit deal. Just everything is clockwork. Not the well. We should trade. Uh, we'll wait till next year. There isn't that. It's it hits that. It's gone. Yep. It hits that. It's gone. Yep. Yeah. No. I think there's there's more of that. You know, it's got it has had this many bushels ran through it, or it's tilled this many acres, or it's planted this many acres, and my depreciation schedule and da 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 da. Now all of a sudden, I've hit this sweet spot where I've maximized my ability to get a return on this machine. Now I'm going to go out and do it again. Yep. And that's that is getting to be. We starting to see that now. Not that you didn't really, not that you didn't see it in the past, but now it's way more. Pro- the conversations I'm having with guys are way different than they were even two years ago. Um, not, and it's not, it's not economy related. It's here's how do how do I maximize my machine profitability in my field? Not efficiency, not this, not that. But when when is the right time to make these things happen? And when do I pull these levers and not? Not these levers over here, and those are all the conversations that we're having. And, and it's just, it's just the evolution of the business, evolution of the farmer, evolution of, of of the overall, you know, economies of scale, and how they all play into each other. And my economies of scale are different than your economy of scale, and there's there's things that play into that, and how those all things look. So yeah, for instance, a guy that. You know, if he was a Missouri flood last year or a Northern Plains prevent plant, never could get to any of it. Last December might have been his trade year. Yeah. But he didn't because he didn't do the hours. Mm -hmm. He didn't utilize. I mean, he he made his payment. He paid it down with whatever funds he got for the situations. But he didn't trade because... He has not, he didn't put any hours on it. So his cost per hour per acre, which is how a lot of guys look at it, a combination of the two, and I'm not a mathematician, I can't explain any of that. But when when you combine those two, that guy is just like, well, we're running with what we got next year because we didn't use it this year. Right. You know? Other than the disc in August when they can finally get out there. And right. Yep. They didn't want to plant wheat, so right. we'll hit her next year. Yep. No, that's there's again, those are all those are all things you play into. And then 
there's there's ways that you look at other things too. And I've had this conversation with with guys before about you know when when's the right time for me to buy that 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 carryover machine, right? That new carryover, that new twenty or that new nineteen when it's a twenty twenty model year, twenty twenty one model year production scale schedule. And my my response to them every time is how long do you plan on keeping it and how many hours do you plan on running it through? And if they tell me they're going to do it um, less than less than two years, two years or less, I'm, I, I usually tell them it's not the best option for you. That, to my opinion, is that three-year deal when you put you have a three-year-old machine and you've got you know quote unquote two years worth of average hours on it. That's when you start hitting that. That's when you, I think my opinion is when you hit that sweet spot of that machine. Right, and when you're talking <clears throat> value, once you get to three years, three years, four years don't make a lot of difference. Right. Yep. Whereas if he does that in the first year or two, mm-hmm. he made himself a two or three year old tractor when it was only one or two. Right. Now the flip side of that is if you have that that model year carryover, and you're dealing with a with a larger producer, and they have a whatever their discount structure looks like, that also weighs into that. Because yeah. then you start looking at, okay, here's what it costs me, here's what trade value is going to be and everything else. Does that discount structure offset um, whatever moving parts they have going on in their business at that point? Those discount structures are uh, play a big a big factor into what that looks like. But if you're uh, if you're just if you're just buying a combine and you are looking to make a deal with someone on that my, or a tractor or whatever it is, my personal opinion is if you can put a three-year-old machine and have two years worth of average hours, whatever that average hour is for your area, it varies from place to place to place to place, that's when you start hitting that sweet spot. And you got, especially if you have like a, like in our area, if you have a, uh, a three-year-old tractor that's got, you know, basically 500, 700 hours a year, it's got well, what we put on a, on a tractor, a row crop tractor or a full drive tractor. If you've got a three-year-old tractor that's only got a thousand hours on it, not fifteen hundred, or seven fifty or something like that, holy crap! All of a sudden, someone's going like, "Well, that's a, I want that one because yeah. it's got, you know, it's got low hours on it, right? You know, and you put the same number of hours on it you would traditionally. It's just the math works out. You're dividing by three instead of two. Yeah. The the <clears> only <throat> time I I completely agree with that. The only time I would say it's different, and it's it's a prevalent holdover market right now. Mm-hmm. Planners. Year to year, I feel like means way less on planters. Acres make way bigger. It's yeah. just acres. Right. You know. Yeah. So if it's a, if you can, you ordered a 21 in June or they had a new 19 sitting there, if it was me, I'd probably pick the 19. Yeah. You know, it's brand new. Right. It hasn't been in the field. Yeah. They both got zero acres. They're both exact to merge. Uh-huh. Then, yeah, save the money. And when that 21 gets traded off in 22, 25, it's not going to make a lot of difference because it's yep. acres. So if you take that, that same 19, for example, and say you just go run it for one year and turn it in, and now you've got a 19 on it that's got whatever, 7,500 acres on it or whatever the number is that you put on it, right? Somebody's going to look at that and be like, man, for a 19, those, those discs look good. Right. Oh man, those boots look great. You know, you start looking at all these different components that you think, well, it's a nineteen, it's three years old, man, it's gonna need a lot of work. Oh man, this thing's things look almost brand new. Yep. It is. So season. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> you know, so <clears throat> those are all those are all the different things you have going on there. So anyway. Well, I think we've kind of hit it here. 
Any last thoughts you want to throw out there? Not that I can think of. I think I think we've exhausted it all. Right on. Okay. <laughs> well, good deal. Well, Aaron, if folks want to reach out to you and pick your brain out what's going on in the marketplace or just get some of these smoking hot deals you got laying around, what's the uh, best way to do that? I am pretty active on Ag Twitter, and on Twitter I am at Aaron Fintail, or you can call me, text me, 308 760-1193. Right on. And I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find all the latest edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also check out movingironllc.com for all the latest news about the Moving Iron Summit coming up in Nashville, Tennessee, January 20th through the 22nd. Uh, that will be open. Any dealer in North America that wants to attend that, hit me up, uh, either Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com or go through the website. There's a contact me page. You can fill out the information and I will get back to you with all the information that's there uh, about that great and wonderful event that we have every year. Um, also check out uh, the Global Ag Network and the great podcasters out there like the Dryline Farmer podcast. Brent and Landon both will make you laugh while you're sitting in the combine or tractor or whatever it is that you're doing at the time. Great podcast to take a listen to. So with that, I am Casey Seymour with Aaron Fennell. Let's go with some iron, folks. Out. In the 21st century Hard-working people Working hard for you and me Moving higher Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving higher